I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Billboard Chartbeat Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. That is our holiday theme version of the Chartbeat Podcast theme. I, <laughs> you know, Gary's wanted to give it a little touch-up. I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, so uh fits in to uh, this week's Billboard Hot 100's Top 10. So uh, coming up on the podcast, a special guest. Uh, actually, we're going to go back to Nashville for uh, an interview with Lindsay L., who's uh, rising on Billboard's country charts. Uh, our country correspondent in Nashville, Jim Asker, is going to be interviewing Lindsay. So that's coming up. But uh, Christmas on the charts this week, Mariah Carey. Comes a little early. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, uh, 23 years in the making. Comes really late. Top 10 for All I Want for Christmas is You. In the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 this week. Let's hear this week's top 10 on the Hot 100, and we'll talk about it. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5... Four, three, two, one. Number ten. Number ten. Number nine. Number eight. Number seven. Number six. Number five. Number four. Number five. Number three. 
Number two. I've been fucking hoes and popping pillies, man. I feel just like a rock star. All my brothers got that gas and they always be smoking like a rock star. And number one. On the grass while listening to our favorite song. When I saw you in that dress, looking so beautiful, I don't deserve And there we have it once again. Two weeks for the two superstars on Perfect, the song that is the number one track on the Hot 100 for a second week in a row. Ed Sheeran, Beyonce, bringing home the bacon once again. Uh, the song, uh, you know, it's one of those times we, we get to that sort of sleepy part of the year where, where the album release schedule kind of lightens up. Um, not as many tracks dropping. People don't want things to get lost in the shuffle of the holidays. Could be one of those things where we, we've got a, a number one that'll last for... Uh, Three, four, five—a good, a good, a good number of weeks in there, yeah. Yeah, well, airplay is still building, so momentum looks really good. And yeah, if nothing else is coming up at the moment, could could be something to take us into January. And one other element that could help Perfect hang on for a couple of weeks is the songs right beneath it at the top of the chart, really starting to either slow down or scale back a little bit. We've got Rockstar at number two, as you guys heard, uh, had been number one for eight weeks. Now we see it slowly ticking back a little bit, streams dropping a little bit. Uh, behind that, Havana number three, and even though it's the top radio song this week, seems like the momentum is starting to shift back a little bit. Uh, really, the first challenger on the, on the up-and-coming side seems at number six, as you guys heard the song Motorsport by the uh, Trifecta. I guess maybe maybe the the Quin Quintfecta. Well, it's a trio who's now in another trio. part of a trio. Right. It's like a, it's like a meta trio right. of uh, of Migos, who is the the Trifecta all its own and Cardi B, and Nicki Minaj. So they're moving up to number six this week on the Hot 100, uh, really driven by the first full tracking week we have since the music video for the song came out, a little futuristic clip if you haven't seen it. Um, the streams for that, lifting it up into the top five of the streaming songs chart this week, and that is definitely driving it up into the top ten of the Hot 100 for the first time. And a historic week for Cardi B. And yes, Cardi is making, speaking of trifectas, Cardi uh, is now claiming a trifecta all her own. Her first three Hot 100 hits are all now top tens officially. Bodak Yellow, as you guys know, was a number one hit um, earlier in the fall this year. A song that you just heard also in that countdown, No Limit, G-Eazy with with Cardi B and ASAP Rocky. Um, Still in the top ten this week, had peaked at number seven thus far. And now with Motorsport. Cardi is is one, two, three. She's killing the game out here. Yeah, first female rapper ever to take her first three Hot 100 hits to the top ten ever. So that's I mean that's that's not Missy, not MC Light, not DeBrat, not Iggy. Um, if you if you haven't read the story uh, that our, our pal Xander wrote on Billboard, uh, Lil Mama also going two for two out there back in 2007. Yes, lip gloss. Remember that one? It's like the at least the second or third time you've mentioned that title on the podcast lip gloss yeah yo see look y'all don't know little mama put out something that is just that is that is culturally relevant y'all y'all wrote dismissed it when it first came off as a little novelty pop song 10 years 10 years later we are still talking about lip gloss all right so uh, the other song in the top 10 this week that is maybe the most notable just for how long it took to get to the top 10 mariah carey all i want for christmas is you up to number nine i wish i could make a, a lamb no i can make a goat noise but like we need to put in a lamb sound here here we go. Bah. 
just happened to have a lamb with us right here in the studio. We'll have to dive into the uh, the that could be our flashback. Is where did the lamb Ali come from? All right, we'll feed the lamb, keep it over there, so we can come back at the end of the podcast. And now feed the lambs with some info about yeah. their queen and her new top ten. So uh, in the top ten for the first time ever. So uh, the song was released in 1994, on Mariah's uh, "Merry Christmas" album. Never hit the top 10. For a long time, it was because it wasn't a commercially available single. Uh, and in the 90s, you needed to be, to be on the Hot 100. So it was number 12 radio hit uh, back in 1994 when it was released, uh, but didn't hit the Hot 100. And then uh, didn't even challenge for anywhere high on the Hot 100 uh, till early this decade when streaming uh, was added to the Hot 100. It started to hit the top 40 uh, in 2012, in 2013, 14, every year since. Uh, it's come back uh, a couple years ago, got to number 11, didn't get any higher. And then last week it got to number 11, so the watch was on again. Could the song finally hit the top 10? And this week, 23 years after its release, top 10. So uh, streaming really is a main factor for, for driving the song this week. It uh, contributes 70% of its chart points this week. So if streaming hadn't come along, we might not be talking about uh, All I Want for Christmas is You being a top 10 hit on the Hot 100. We found people really like to stream holiday songs. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the, the most curious things I think about the development of streaming in, into the charts is before when people buy things, you know, through whether it's physical or digital, you know, there was no way of keeping track of how often these things were played. You could buy record off iTunes or, or at the record store back in the day, and, you know, you, you might spend it 100 times, 150 times, but you only can register that one initial sale. So I think with streaming in particular as... You know, as I'm sure probably the, the downloads might be waning for the song, people are choosing to stream it instead. And, you know, I mean, it's not uncommon that you might stream it, I don't know, once a day even or, or on a Christmas playlist or something. So all those plays coming together, you know, is really is really helping her out, as we obviously can see here. And uh, holiday airplay is bigger than it was in years past. Uh, in this decade, in the 2000s, uh, AC stations uh, began playing holiday music 24-7, more than they ever did. So that means even more plays, more audience uh, for the song. And uh, Mariah's Christmas shows the last few years. She's turned she's turned the song into kind of its own industry, where she's doing uh, the, the residency at uh, the Beacon Theater here in New York, which expanded to uh, international shows this year. There's a new movie out called All I Want for Christmas is You, a uh, book a couple years ago. So uh, she's kind of uh, realized that. There's this evergreen popularity of the song. It now has so many offshoots to it, and it just feels like this is the total culmination of the song just uh, growing in popularity uh, over the years, and now a uh, brand-new milestone. Yeah, and you know, a lot of the lambs out there already itching for that 19th number one, perhaps. I mean, there's obviously a, a ways to go between top 10 and number one, but, I mean, if evidence... May, I mean, maybe it takes a long time, but Mariah showed up. Who knows? Maybe... There is one more week of, of holiday tracking this season, so maybe it, it challenges for the top five next week. We'll see. Uh, the other thing is it's uh, Mariah's 28th top 10 on the Hot 100, uh, her first since 2009. So uh, this decade, she, she adds uh, her latest one. But uh, also is great. 28 top 10s. This is Mariah. made. Her, this is her 28th year on the charts. Going back to 1990. Well, that's right. Yeah. So 28 for 28. There she is. Uh, fifth most all time. She ties Stevie Wonder for the fifth most. So uh, Madonna leads with 38. The Beatles, 34. Rihanna, 31. Uh, Michael Jackson, 29. And then Mariah and Stevie Wonder, 28 each. So just more history for Mariah. She has the most number ones among soloists uh, with 18. And uh, moving up on the list for most top tens. 
again, I know that Mariah um, in particular has been really excited to watch watch this happen around the world. I mean, even even worldwide, we're seeing some of these same kind of effects with streaming in the charts. Um, it's back to number two, I know, in the UK, which is the same position it originally hit when it came out in 94. So, you know, to see it literally go from, from its debut year at number two all these years later and still be number two is, you know, some, some special for it. And I'm sure in particular um, hitting number one would be, you know, crazy i mean 23 years after the fact people still streaming people still celebrating like you said she's really commercialized christmas in a huge way for her and her fans and they always look forward to this time of year and um i mean it's just it's just one of those cool things to see that you know a legacy artist doing legacy things and so many people have tried to figure out why this song has stood out above so many others over the last 20-something years. Why is this the, the one song that gets this attention? And even uh, Walter Afanasyev, who co-wrote the song, he talked to Billboard a couple years ago. He he couldn't even fully understand. I, I think a big part of it is uh, there hadn't been a lot of new Christmas songs uh, by by really any artist. They used to do covers a lot. So when this song came out in 1994, it was sort of rare for, for an artist to record a new holiday song. And this is when Mariah was absolutely at the peak of her chart powers. So it was the biggest artist at the time putting out and, and really, I think what is the main thing about it, putting out a, just a great song. I think it just, so much of it is, it's really just that good. The momentum of the song is just so driving forward. It's catchy. There's just so many things that I, I think it was the right song at the right time. And maybe nothing else has really matched it quality wise or uh, business wise in terms of an artist uh, being at the right time, releasing a song like that since. Yeah. I mean, I really agree that, I mean, certainly, of course, Mariah being Mariah at that particular moment. And I know and a lot of times people talk about, you know, interviews where she thought maybe it was too soon to do a Christmas album. But like you said, she was at the height of her powers. And that was something that a lot of artists kind of just on their decline kind of did for sort of one last gasp. But, OK, well, it's Christmas, so I can at least be relevant, you know, in this this point in time of the year. And for for them to just bang out a, a classic, I mean, I know a lot of it, you know, is kind of kind of inspired by some of the older maybe um well, yeah, the Motown, Wall of Sound, '60s yeah. kind of sounds. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the record is also inspired by some of those sounds that we know as classics today. A lot of the Phil Spector kind of sounds. I mean, we see we see the Ronettes. You know, their sleigh ride comes back every year. So right. Mariah capitalizing on that formula as well. You know, just in just in general. I mean, Mariah Carey put her stamp on Christmas, and she definitely deserves all the the accolades and talk that comes with it. And uh, just uh, one uh, last thing on Mariah. She has a new holiday song that's on uh, the adult contemporary chart called The Star. And I think it's one of her best vocals ever. Carry holiday music to go along with All I Want for Christmas is You. Golden Globe nominated holiday music from right. Mariah Carey. 
All right. So good week uh, for Mariah all around uh, on the Billboard charts this week. So uh, we'll actually talk a little bit more uh, holiday music coming up at the end of the podcast. But uh, let's go to Nashville right now for our uh, industry insider interview this week. Jim Asker, our Nashville correspondent, uh, had so many great interviews this year with Jim. He's gotten uh, Luke Bryan and Mike Dungan on uh, before, Billy Ray Cyrus, Marin Morris, uh, Ray Lynn. So kind of a little thread there with, uh, with Ray Lynn and Marin how uh, we've talked to a lot of uh, female country artists because it's pretty known at this point that uh, women are having a little trouble on the country charts. have been very male-dominated uh, in recent years. So uh, another artist uh, who we wanted to talk to about that, and she's actually breaking through. It's uh, Lindsay L. So in September, uh, she had her breakthrough album, The Project, debuted at number four on the Top Country Albums chart. And uh, this week, it's kind of cool, a nice uh, milestone for, for Lindsay, uh, Criminal, her new single, hits the top 40. It's our first time in the top 40 on the country airplay charts up to number 40 this week. So uh, we're going to celebrate that and get her perspective on women in country. And uh, Jim actually recorded this a little bit uh, a couple, a few weeks ago when uh, her single time waiting on you was uh, uh, going towards the number 42 peak. So uh, since then, uh, top 40 hit for Lindsay L on Billboard's country airplay chart. So let's find out uh, her, her take on all things Nashville and country right now. It's Jim Asker with Lindsay L on the Billboard Chappie Podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Jim Asker from Billboard, and I am with the one and only Lindsay L. on the Chart Beat Podcast today, something I've been wanting to do for a long time now. Likewise. Into hey, the Jim. Studio. It's so nice to see you. Thank you so much for, for doing this with it's, us today. It's so nice to see you. Thank you for having me. I've listened to lots of your episodes. Yeah. <laughs> the funny ones. <laughs> the funny ones. The good ones. It's, uh, yeah, I'm a fan. Um, and I'm a fan as well. So, um I want to discuss a little bit because a lot of the Billboard readers, listeners um, from other genres, um, everybody mixes and matches now. I love that, how young people listen to everything. But for anybody who's not familiar, I just want to go back a little bit, your background, and talk about that. You're from Canada. From Canada originally. I started playing piano when I was six, picked up the guitar when I was eight. It became like another limb off my body, pretty much. I started working with a guy by the name of Randy Bachman when I was 13 years old. So mm-hmm. Randy 
It's from BTO, the guest who, who taking care of business, American Woman, all those classic rock songs. No time left for me. Exactly. Baby, just ain't seen nothing yet. Um, I would sit in the studio with Randy and he would play all these jazz chords up and down the neck. He learned to play guitar from Lenny Bro, who's like this crazy jazz guitarist. And I would just sit there, you know, 13, 14, 15 how, years How did old. you meet Randy? I met him through a songwriting buddy of mine. Okay. He'd been working with Randy and he's like, you guys need to meet. And so I sent Randy this little demo CD I made of like Jan Arden cover songs and like acoustic guitar instrumentals. I think I covered a Tommy Emanuel like finger style guitar song and I put some things that I'd written and he listened to it and he was like, this sounds like a young female Chet Atkins. I need to meet this girl. And so we got together for a couple of writing sessions and, um, and he's like, I'm your biggest fan. I want to help you. So Randy was really the guy who taught me how to write a song. And, you know, when he was playing all these jazz chords in the studio, I was so intrigued that he was really the guy who got me listening to blues and jazz and rock. Is Randy a country fan by chance? He is or? a huge country fan. He is. You know, he has, he has podcasts. He loves songwriting. He's such a great songwriter that he writes with a lot of country artists and country songwriters all the time. Um, just because songs are all about the message and the story. And I mean, he's done tours. I think he had a tour called Every Song Tells a Story where he goes and tells, you know, the background of all the guests who. That is so songs. cool. Does he keep in touch with your career now? Yeah, we, we keep in touch all the you? time. We wrote about a year ago and we've been trying to find a date. Like he lives in Toronto right now. Um, and both of us are just zigzagging around the world every Every day, it seems. So, I know you've um, been so busy, and we'll talk about that. But has he ever popped up on stage with you in one of your shows? Yes, yeah. He we've, has. we've definitely been able to play together, and I hope we can reenact that reunion soon. We're way overdue. How old were you when you wrote your first song? I was 10 years old. 10? Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was awful. I wrote it to my parents, because what else are you going to write when you're 10 years old? What was the name old? of it? It was called That Place in My Heart. It was terrible. Sing a minute. A second oh of my it. gosh! Come on. This is awful. I've never let this out into Lindsay the world. Lindsay L, this place in my heart. It goes like, you hold a place in my heart. I can't even remember the rest of it. I have it somewhere recorded. Oh but man, I wrote so better songs than that when I was. 10. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, you gotta start somewhere. Can you, gosh, um, I'm kidding because most of us at ten are just <laughs> learning how to get to the store to buy bubble gum or whatever. <laughs> and you're writing songs. Did, did you start writing on piano or guitar first? Guitar. Um, I love writing on piano now. I I think I kind of abandoned the piano for. 10 years. I learned classical piano and I'm so glad that I had that basis of theory mm-hmm. as a musician nerd. Because then when I dove into the guitar world, I just I kind of built from that. But um, I abandoned the piano for a while and now I love writing on piano almost more than I do with guitar because I feel like I don't think about mm-hmm. the rules. I don't think about theory. I don't think about numbers or chords. I just think about what sounds cool and what I want to say. In your full shows, are you do you play piano some too, or you just sometimes? Right now, we've been um, you know opening up for Mr. Brad Paisley, and just because mm-hmm. of our set length, um, I've been playing guitar the whole show. But I love bringing a piano out on the road, and anytime there's one close by, I'll uh, I'll definitely sit down and play a song. You guys have done a ton of dates already, right, on the Brad Paisley tour? We've been out on the road for fifty shows this year. It's been awesome. You know, I. I just got to see you for a couple of songs the other night, 
at one of your label, BBR Broken Bow. Um, mm-hmm. You are actually on Stony Creek Records. I am. And um, one of their labels. And at the Broken Bow Show at the Hard Rock here in Nashville. I got to tell you, you strap your guitar on. And I was with a few of my colleagues. I said, you got to come up and watch her play guitar. Thank you. You kind of look like a, you have that stance, like a guitar god. <laughs> you know, um, it's like Dang, you strap Jim, that thanks. guitar on. And does that do something for you? Like you strap. The, I've heard from other rock guitarist and country yeah. that they, they throw the guitar on and it does that give you something it's like it's go time you know mm-hmm. it, adrenaline starts pumping and and i just sort of my mind moves into this different headspace it's so that headspace is so comfortable to me because it's probably the reason why like my shoulders and my back are probably messed up because i've just i've played guitar for hours and hours a day for the past i mean 17 years of my life and I'm just so used to having that thing next to my body and like a piece of wood part of your body yeah we're just yeah very much so we're kind of connected so I don't play the guitar but what make guitar do you what kind of guitar do you play right now I'm playing a lot of strats I uh I started playing Les Pauls when I was little and um, when you were four when I was four years old (laughs) it was so heavy it was heavier than I was um but I, I just miss single coils. I, I hate to get all guitar nerd because probably not a you, lot of people care. That, but you just said single, single coil. coil pickups. They, um, it's it's really hard to make a Les Paul sound like a Strat or Tele would sound. So Stratocaster or Telecaster. I hope you don't mind. I kind of jump around with my. Please. It's like a regular. That's convers- my mind. When Welcome. I'm in conversation, I go from one thing to the Perfect. next. So Welcome I kind of bounce to a- my mind as well. <laughs> bounce around a little bit. But at one point, did your parents say to you? You've got to do this. Or did they say that? Or did you tell them? It was the opposite. Yeah, I told them. Um, I started playing shows when I was little. And, you know, I was 10 years old when I started songwriting and started playing my first set of shows through um, my church. You know, I'd play in in the choir with my dad because he played guitar. And so I played there beside him. And all of a sudden live shows just became my favorite thing to do and i'd play as many of them as i could for free was your dad a professional musician or just no, do it for he's fun? an engineer and my mom works at the university and um and both of them play instruments my dad plays pretty much anything with strings he still has a band that you know they just play around town and have fun with so music was around me ever since i was a little girl and for that reason my parents understood the passion behind uh-huh. it but um, my family was super academic. I graduated high school a year early, and early was uh, valedictorian of my graduating class. You were? Mm-hmm. I was a nerd. I don't feel smart enough now I'm to be I'm a nerd of, of all, all parts of life. Wow. Um, and my parents told me it was, it was mandatory that I go to school. College, university, whatever I wanted to choose. So I went to business school. Mm-hmm. The Haskane School of Business in Calgary. And um, in my second year, I remember sitting in an accounting class being like, why am I doing this right now? Because I, I dedicate so much of myself to everything that I'm doing. Like if I decide to do something, then I'm 100% doing it. And you just can't, 
take on too and much. And your mind and was it, racing and, and you wanted to... And expect, yeah, that that is going to be even physically human possible. And, I mean, my manager and my label can say that I still fight the same battles today. But um, I eventually was like, I can... I can go to school. I can take accounting classes any time in my life, but I cannot be a musician. And you'll go back and finish at some point. Sometime, maybe. But I just felt such a calling that, you know, and while I was I was going to school, I was still doing shows. I was gigging on the road. I was missing midterms and driving across Mm. Canada in my 15 passenger band van, which is my first vehicle that that, that I would drive to high school every day in. And um, yeah. And eventually I sat them down and was like, Mom and Dad, I want to be a musician. We're speaking with Lindsay L., uh, the first single off the record, the project called Waiting on You. The record, the project, debuted at number one on the Billboard country sales chart. How gratifying was that when that happened? Jim, it was such an incredible moment. As an artist, to wait the time that we need to wait sometimes to finish recording a record and then get to release that body of work to your fans, that is an accomplishment in itself. And for me, I felt like I've been waiting to release this record for 16 years. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd release singles, I'd release little tapes that I'd made out of the back of my car when I was a little girl. And, and now to finally officially debut my first album on a record label in Nashville. That'd be so exciting. It was amazing. But then to see the kind of reaction from fans and have it debut as number one, I, it was just, it was surreal. Have you um, seen fans singing your songs back to you at shows? Yes. That what, what's is, that feel like? It's the best high that you can ever experience. I've never done a drug in my life, but um, but I don't even need to. I mean, th- that is such a feeling that fuels me through all the craziness and ups and downs and lack of sleep and, you know, crazy schedule that, that we go through as artists sometimes. That feeling alone, whether it's for five minutes on stage or a whole 90-minute show, is incredible it's the best there's so many um great songs on this record um champagne is a favorite of mine and i know it's a favorite of a lot of people and there's just so many great catchy songs hooks um you wrote nine of the songs didn't you Mm -hmm. on the record cutting outside songs was something that was completely out of my comfort zone i fought my team on it a lot um just as a songwriter it's it's really important to say what i want to say but Christian Bush, my producer. From Sugarland. From Sugarland, as we all know and love him. I actually saw them the other night. They played together. Crazy, right? Yeah. Jim, at the CMA Awards, I didn't even know this was happening. And I text Christian and I was like, how did you not tell me this? But I'm so happy. I've just been waiting for this moment. They need to make music again. Fans have seemed so excited for them to get back together and to now learn that it's happening. Are they going to record or are they already recording new music? When they said on the CMA stage, you know, they presented the award for duo of the year and they were like, I even forget what they said, but they basically hinted at it. So Mm, let's hope that it's just a matter of of in the works. And for those who don't know, the project was produced by Christian Bush. Bush, And did you handpick him? How did that happen? You know, Christian um, is my label mate on the same team Mm -hmm. as we are. And I think it was my manager who originally brought up his name. And so we got together for coffee and Christian and I three hours later are still talking about music and what influenced us and why we love to do what we do. And, and I walked out of that meeting being like, this guy's 
my producer. It's done. Mm-hmm. There's there's just a connection that you feel with with people sometimes, and music is so personal. And you walk into rooms with songwriters that you've never met before and pour your heart and soul out to them, and and three hours later you've written like this vulnerable piece of music with a stranger. Did he know your work? Christian and I had written once before, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, we we definitely knew each other. We'd played some radio shows in the past, but choosing a producer is such a important decision especially for an artist and especially for where I'm at you know I've been living in Nashville for eight years and I feel like I've constantly been searching for an identity you know you you come to town especially as a musician in my case and there's so many incredible influences from musicians to producers to songwriters to people working at record labels that I was just so wide-eyed and hungry as an artist that I just took it all in. And if you don't have that filter to be like, okay, this is who I am, then you can't be everything. You can't be everything to everybody. And um, Was I, it a nerve-wracking process thinking, okay, this record is really important to me? Choosing the songs that were going to mm-hmm. end up making the record. Once Christian and I sat down for that meeting, it just flipped. Like the switch just flipped, and I was like, "This is fun. I get to make the record that I've wanted to make for the rest of my life, and and record the songs that I want to record." I I wasn't worried about anything from that moment forward. It was more like, "Okay, how can I make the best music possible at this point in my life? How can I take like a snapshot of where I am?" And have it be the most honest, vulnerable representation of me. And I feel like we did that. You know, I, I sat down with Christian. I was like, Christian, I want to make a record that stands kind of on its own and, and is just cool. Like Tuesday Night Music Club, the first time I heard that record, it just stood on its own. You know, Sheryl Crow just collected songs and recorded songs in a way that they didn't really fit with other things. But by itself, it just... It was brilliant. And, and I want to just touch on this briefly. Christian Bush had you record a full album yes. for him, right? It, it, was a, it was a John Mayer record. Tell that story really quick. So um, we called the record The Project because I feel like the past year of my life has been a science, science project of figuring out who I am. Uh-huh. And because Christian had me do little experiments along the way, it, it felt like that. The first experiment was him asking me what's my favorite record of all time. And I told him it was Continuum by John Mayer. I've listened to that record so much. And he's like, perfect. I want you to go record the whole thing. Your only rules are you have two weeks. You need to play all the instruments yourself. And you need to do it by yourself at your studio at the label. Go. (laughs) So I cleared my schedule. I had to cancel things. And I I cooped up in my little office and 8 a.m. till 3 a.m. I worked around the clock and I re-recorded my favorite record of all time which I thought I knew but when you need to start taking apart pieces of songs and and Steve Jordan drum parts and Pino Palladino bass parts and and really recreating it in your own voice it's it's a process I learned so much about and you did that in two weeks did it in two weeks played all the instruments played all Drums, the instruments oh my gosh bass, one guitar Steve keyboards. Jordan measure like one bar took me two hours because I couldn't figure it out I was like what is he doing and it just was listening over and over and over again but the experiment as a whole was one of the most brilliant things I've ever 
seen a producer ask an artist to do. It was like, take your favorite music and then put it in your own voice and listen back to that and then see how you feel. And so I handed Christian the, the project after I was done, we called it the continuum project, quote unquote, and was like, I'm, I'm blown away. Like I've learned so much about the way John Mayer plays guitar, about the way I play guitar. And most importantly, how I love to hear a band record in the studio. And he just laughed and he's like, all right, it's uh it's time to do that with your own music. That's awesome. What a great story. <laughs> I'm so impressed that you play all the, all those instruments. And so you must be pretty studio savvy then too, hey, obviously. Well, I'm right? kind of um I I told you I was I'm a nerd. So I love making tracks and recording. I play bass like a guitar player and I'm an awful drummer, but it is the one instrument that I kind of want to. Where were you when you first heard waiting on you on the radio? That's a very good question. I was in Nashville. I landed, had just gotten home from a radio station or radio show and got in my car and, and heard it in Nashville in my hometown now, which was, it's a crazy feeling when you hear a song that you've written come on the radio that you're not expecting. My first time I'd ever heard my song on the radio, we had um, just finished dinner in Phoenix with the station. And um, they were like, hey, your song's coming up because they could see the rotation or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we walked out of the restaurant. We hailed this cab to the side of the road. And we were like, hey, could you turn it on, station? And the cab driver's like, okay. So we turn it on. I'm sitting in the front seat. You know, my the label and the all the people from the radio station are standing around. Finally, it comes on the air and I freak out. I'd stand up and I'm hugging everybody and <laughs> high-fiving everybody and running around the car and the cab driver's totally into it. He's totally into it. He's like high-fiving everybody and I realize the meter's running. And so he's like, we could do this for the rest of the day and I'm, I'm great. With all the ways to consume music, there's still mm-hmm. something really romantic and special about hearing a song on the radio, isn't there? Absolutely. Like the is it like um, as a former programmer mm-hmm. and being a young, talented woman who plays the hell out of the guitar yeah. and can play all these instruments and write songs and then you go to radio stations, some aren't playing the record yet? What? Mm-hmm. How is that? What is that like? What, what is it like when you meet a program director who hasn't even heard the record? <laughs> I mean, it's something we've gotten used to. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you let it roll off? Can you let it roll off you? It's a, oh, such a sure. personal thing. It's such a personal thing, but it's just part of doing any kind of business. And promotion's hard. And even promotion for a girl, you know, a woman artist is hard. It's just a hard thing right now. When, and when I talked to Marin Morris, mm-hmm. there were three songs in the top forty at the time by women. Yeah. It's so that, crazy. To me is um, crazy. Even, even when I think about it, that it's, yeah. it takes that long. And I ask people all the time, I was like, what is the problem? I asked Ray Lynn about it. Mm-hmm. I asked Marin about it. What's your take on it? Why, why is it so challenging? You know, I think every industry is cyclical, regardless of, of where you work. Um, I feel like the music industry right now, it's a really good time for females. And I think that the quality of music that females are writing and recording and releasing is at 
an all-time high. And for once, I feel like the record that I recorded is who I am, and I'm proud of it. And, you know, we were talking earlier before we started this podcast, like, if I'm going to go down with my ship, at least I will sink on my own flipping ship. Better girl. And that's how I feel. (laughs) Like, I'm so proud of this music that it's almost flipped the discussion. Like, before, I used to be so worried about getting a song up the chart, getting a song up the chart, getting a song up the chart. And I'm still worried about getting a song up the chart, but it is just a part of the conversation now. It's not the only conversation because I feel like I've created an album that shows who I am as an artist. And I love playing live shows and I love watching fans fall in love with the record. And so... Yeah, getting a song on the radio is definitely something that is our focus. And, and waiting we on you, will figure it out one waiting of these on you times. It's a great song. It's a great single. It's Thank one you. of those songs that sounds better every time you hear it, which Thank you. is the charm of great music. It's timeless. It sounds yeah. great all the time. Yeah. And, you know, um, here's a question for you that I wanted to ask. And, um, you know, when the Beatles were turned down by every label there was, um, they used to ask John Lennon what the backup plan was, and Mm -hmm. he'd say there is no backup plan. Yep. Um, Are you that passionate about it? That Yes, I think you need to be. People always ask, if you weren't a musician, Lindsay, what would you be? And I'm like, I'd be a musician (laughs) because this is what makes me happy. This is who I am. And there's there's so many aspects of this industry and... um, you know, building a career is such a beautiful process that takes time and grows into so many things that you would never have even thought you'd, you'd be able to live and go through. And so, um, so yeah, this is me. I was so glad to hear that you love the album because, um, you know, everybody, it's all consumption now yeah. and people dropping singles Absolutely. and no plan for an album. I mm-hmm. mean, Body Like a Backroads was number one. As it should have been. It was awesome. <laughs> we're still waiting for the next single. Yeah. Um, and I totally get it with him. You know, he's Me just too. Sam Hunt is just he's going to put one out when I guess he feels like putting and one out. Good for Sam Hunt, because but, he's he's gotten to the point where he can do that. Mm-hmm. But the charm of the album, though. Yeah. Um, the historic nature of how we love albums. Yes. I, I was interviewing an artist the other day and he said, we don't need to put an album out anymore because we're just going to drop singles and and not worry about an album. Um, but. Do you still believe in the cohesive album and the work? I believe in the album for me. I think for every artist, it's different necessarily. And even genres are a little bit different. And depending on what you're planning to do with a certain project, maybe a single route is a better way to go. But for me, I want my fans to fall in love with who I am. And, and you know, songs are a part of the story. And so making albums is is a really important thing for me, yes. And you've got an album that's chock full of potential hits. (laughs) Well, thanks, Jim. I hope the rest of the world feels that way, too. (laughs) Well, I'm a fan, but, um, you know, that song Champagne, that Jessica Biel line, it's such a great hook. And I have to be Mm -hmm. honest, I didn't know who Jessica Biel was (laughs) until I saw the show Sinner. And I was watching, I was like, oh, that's the Lindsay Elsa. Sinner's so good, right? I love how that's what made you discover Jessica Biel. And that's what made you think of Champagne. That's amazing. I work at Billboard, yet I'm kind of pop culture ignorant when it comes to a lot of things. Whatever, and, you are very music <laughs> history uh, brilliant. VIPs, like that crystal chandelier Ain't got nothing on me You make me feel like Jessica Biel Stepping out of a stretch Diamonds hugging my 
Um, Champagne was a special song. I remember walking to, into the writing room that day. I was with Fred Wilhelm and fellow artist Walker Hayes. And oh, he was a co-writer. Uh. He was. Yeah, the three of us wrote it. And um, we were throwing around ideas, and, and we started writing bits of that chorus. And I'm like, can we rhyme Jessica Beale with the word feel? <laughs> and Walker looked at us, and he was like, of course we can. Walker's not scared of anything. And his creativity and and writing ability is just so inspiring to me because it's like music should have no rules as artists and as creators the minute you put rules around yourself is when you kind of start to live in a box and that's not what creativity should be you know creativity should just be what it is and messy and brilliant and unguided and then we have people to help us bring it back into the box and it needs to be you know what set I, in. You know what's great about it is that you might be writing about it from a personal side, but great music people can re- relate to in their own lives and their own situations. And I yes. bet a lot of women just love that song for what it says. Uh, I wonder yeah. about it sometimes when I listen. I wonder if she's singing about Bobby. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, Songwriting is is an honest thing. And even over the past year, I feel like I'm writing way more about exactly what I'm going through. Love it or hate it. You're, but I think that's how fans have reacted to it so much, you know? When you know, they start to fall in love with it. You're on the cusp of, you've already bro- broken through, you're on tour with a huge artist mm-hmm. and, and playing in front of huge crowds all the time. And I know that just because I, um, you know, I, I like people personally, um, you connect with people. And um, I, I felt Really, like, why should your personal life be part of anybody? Why do people even care about who Lindsay yeah. L is dating? Um, and yeah. I remember when that little controversy happened, I was like, what the hell does this have anything to do with? I mean, when we were in radio and somebody would do something, um, and my music director, Suzanne, and I would say to her, so I was like, what do, what do we care? The right. listener is not thinking about that. They're they're working three jobs. They're driving to Walmart. Completely. They could care less. They just want to hear great they music. They want to hear great music. So just touching on it really quickly, um, how yeah. is what's that like for you and your personal life being examined? As members of an entertainment industry, you your life is public, you know? I mean, I put my whole life on social media anyways, and so I'm putting it out there. So the fact that people want to ask questions about it, all the power to them. I mean, I'm putting it out there. However, do fans ask you about it when they're asking for an autograph? Oh, for sure. And they as do. they should, I, as, mm-hmm. as an artist, I want to be able to share my life with you and write about it and have you ask about it. And if they're asking me about my personal life, it means they're listening to my music. And so I'm grateful for that. What mm-hmm. happened in Sacramento, you know, I cannot get mad about anybody choosing or not choosing to play my music. That's their decision. However, you know, I was booked on a show that was promoted for months that I would play. And then I was asked the night before to not play it because of my personal life. And that's what, what just didn't feel right. And for the listener who doesn't know, Lindsay was, um, is, was dating Bobby Bones, who I did a podcast with. He's very great interview. I mean, the guy's quick as can be, you know, he, he is still one of my best friends and I wish, everything amazing for him because he deserves it. He has such a great heart. He is one of the funniest people I know. And um, 
And yeah. I'm sure he deals with envy too, but you know, people who, because in radio, you know, he's on so many stations and he's so successful. But anyway, Lindsay was playing a show in Sacramento at a competing, because Bobby is on iHeartMedia, a competing station, and they, then they canceled it, which is really childish. But you went up and did a makeup date, didn't you? At- I did, yes. <laughs> we made everything right in the world. And um, at the end of the day, my biggest focus and the most important thing to me is my fans and I just didn't want them to think that I wasn't showing up at a show that they thought I was going to be at because that wasn't my choice and so I wanted to go back there for them and we ended up having a great show and um and it was fun I love Sacramento gosh the fans in Sacramento we were out there actually for record release week when the album um the project came out and they already knew it. They had listened to the instant grat tracks and I guess it had been out like a couple of days before we got around to Sacramento and, um, and they were singing every word to every song. What, what do you like for a fan to take away from listening to your album? I want them to be able to identify with it. I, um, I just got back from Europe. We were there for a couple of weeks and played these little club shows in London and Cologne, Germany and Amsterdam. And, you know, it's like 200 people smashed into this little club. It's so great and brilliant and, and sweaty and dark. And, and yet they're singing every word to B sides, to album cuts. And the, the culture over there is a lot less single driven and a lot more album driven and and people fall in love with artists and really listen to your body of work. But it is so rewarding as a songwriter and as an artist to, you know, even play in countries that can't even speak English and still learn your music and fall in love with your music and, and want to come to shows and sing it with you. That is so great. And they're really passionate about it there. Very passionate about it there. And at the show the other night, the Broken Bow show um, during CMA week, um, Executive Vice President John Loba of Broken Bow yeah. said... And I, I was having trouble. He was mumbling on stage yeah. about you being in, in Europe and because Broken Bow is, is going international now and you being one of the first mm-hmm. artists to make a splash over yes. there, right? Yeah. Is that exciting or what? It's so exciting. It's so exciting. I love being able is, to travel around the world and play music. For Is your music on the radio in Europe? Yeah, we've been played on BBC Radio 2 a couple of times, as well as Chris Country, which is another country show over there. It's it's crazy, it's the so culture. It's it? so different. It's so different than what we can even understand over here. You know, they have, they have s- stations or, or broadcast networks that play music, and then they have shows that are sort of themed or, or genre-themed. Um, so they have like a country show mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah, they've been, they've been wonderful to us supporting the record. I'm going over to play C2C, which is a huge music festival in London in March. And, um, I can't wait to get back over there. So you're still doing Brad Paisley dates. You're so busy. Mr. Brad and- Paisley is probably one of the coolest people. I mean, arguably one of the best guitar players that I've gotten to tour with. Did and, he know what a good guitarist in, you were when in he, the world? Gosh. When he put um, you on the tour? I think so. We got to play a couple of college dates with him when he was playing those in 2016. Okay, so we don't have a lot of women in country who are known for their guitar no. prowess. Uh, Anita Cochran comes to mind, who's a great guitar player. Absolutely. Plays Bonnie the Raitt. Chad style. Oh, Bonnie Raitt. Um, of course. And, and there a few others. There are not others, a but... lot of female musicians. And I think that was one thing when Brad first met me. You know, he knew that I played, but even his crew was saying the first time that he brought me out, I forget, it was like the end of She's Everything or something. And um, 
they were like, to see that smile on Brad's face, they're like, we don't see that smile come out very often. And he was like, to get to jam with a girl on stage, that's not something that he gets to do every day, you know? And so Brad's been so wonderful to us. He's taken us in that's sort so of their road touring family, his crew and band and, and you know, just... He's a, such a great guy himself. So it's Lindsay L. Brad, and who are the other two artists on Chase this Chase Bryan and Dustin Lynch. Great show. It's a great show. It's a full show. It's been so much fun to, to tour with it all year. And, um, yeah, you know, you got to have a girl in there to keep those three guys in line. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any women in your band? I don't. I really, really oh, want to. You know, I know, right? I, when I first came to town, I wanted an all-girl band. But... Sometimes with budgets and, and travel yeah. schedules and, and playing radio shows and um, you, well, know, you, you can't always get what you wish for. But it is my goal to to bring some more. Well, when I power. ask programmers, any good, decent programmer, I was having this conversation with Johnny Chang, who programs KKBQ yeah, in Houston awesome. about women. And um, he said, hey, you know, I just look at it at the song. Whether it's a man, woman, group, I don't really care. I love and that. And so that's how you must be with musicians, too. Really, that is that's true. I I when I'm interviewing to you know see if somebody wants to come on, it's mainly about who they are first as a person, <laughs> and then it's how well can you play your instrument or you do do your job because for the other twenty three hours of the day, you know you got to live together. What do you want to accomplish in your career? You're so young and talented and. Got yeah. this great album out. Um, do you think about that? All the time. I have started making vision boards. You know, I've I've made them in the past, but I think it's just the season of of life that I'm going through right now, and and I feel like it's a bit of a whirlwind, and and trying to stay focused and figure out where the road's heading. And so I have like a vision board up in my bedroom, and um, I want to play music around the world to thousands of people every night. Are you having fun? Having a blast. It is nothing like I ever thought it was going to be, and it's so much more than I wanted it to be in the same How way. often do you talk to your mom and dad? Not often enough. I, um, I'm terrible sometimes. I get out on the road, and I'm just in road mode, I call it, and, and I just sort of disconnect from... Well, you need to call Life. your parents more. <laughs> I know. Well, no, no, I'll talk. To, we as text all the time. I'm not a dad, but as my mom and dad and my brother and figure, I you need to are, call on, are on a group text. I try to call them once a week, but but sometimes two weeks go by and I'm like, I haven't called my parents. I probably should do that. I have I have the best family that a girl could ask for, and they're super understanding and supportive. And, um, and yeah, I need to call them every week. Yeah, you know, my mom passed away a couple of years ago, and she was 90, and um, I still think about calling her every day because I... I used to yeah. talk to her and I thought about it and there were probably 10 days since college that I missed not speaking to my mom and dad. Um, so I just got, but I grew up Catholic, so I'd feel extremely guilty too. I so. grew up Catholic too. So I feel <laughs> extremely guilty, but it's weird. It's like, I, I'm such an introvert. I'm such an extrovert when I play shows, but I know you're an outgoing introvert in my, I'm an outgoing introvert. There mm -hmm. you go. And I, I really get fueled and, and write songs and am creative by being alone. Mm. Do your parents worry about your safety? All the time. <laughs> All the time. I'm moving. I'm moving to a different part of town right now in Nashville. And my mom's like been researching about this, about where I'm moving. And, and she always is worried about 
my safety. The, the tragedy that we've had um, yeah. ongoing from every week, it seems like you turn on CNN and there's something. Do you, do you block that out when you're playing, when you're going no. into a venue? I think about it every every show, actually. It's such a weird thing that one person can walk into a setting and and change everybody's lives for the rest of their lives. You're on the same label as Jason Aldean, and he was on stage, of course, when that happened yeah. in Las Vegas. Did, did he share any of that? Because um, I know he hasn't talked about it a lot, um, about yeah. personally what that was like. I just can't imagine. Jason's band, Tully Kurt, Rich, and um, David, they were my first producers. And so the three of them, Tully Kurt and Rich, play for Jason, and I text them immediately once I heard it and I was like are you, are you okay and Kurt was like Lindsay that it was the craziest thing that I'd ever gone through like I, I had to hide behind a road case on stage listening to gunshots for 10 minutes and I was in London I was on the other side of the world and I it was so personal that it affected me for I mean it still affects me clearly I can barely talk right now and, yeah. and um it's such a scary and unfortunate thing. Well, I wish you safety out there. Thanks. And, I mean, you know, the beautiful thing about country music, I will say, is we're such a family. And the CMA Awards definitely beautiful. had so many beautiful tributes to it. I was like, so proud of our genre that the salute yeah, we did. The way it opened, for the Little Big Town's acceptance speech when Carrie got up there and sang. And saying, and they had everybody's pictures from everybody who's so unfortunately nice. passed away, and then all of the victims. I was a Inter, mess. Interwoven with Don Williams, incredible, and the people that we lost. It, it, Troy it, Gentry. It was beautiful. It was really a beautiful it tribute. It was really a beautiful tribute, and it really goes to show that as country music, we are a family. And when tragedies happen, we do come together, and we support each other, and we love each other. And you know, were we you at the show? Through it as a family, yeah. I was. Um, I brought my like, roommate. I'm going to be up there winning that Horizon Award next year. That has been a dream of mine ever since I was a little girl, and so hopefully one day, Jim, we can make that happen. What are you listening to right now? I listen to everything from Buddy Guy to Hendrix to Cage the Elephant to Keith Urban's new record to. Um, Hey, how do you like the Keith Urban song, Female? It's amazing. It's, it's great, isn't it? It's so great, and it it touches on so many issues that are timely and that um, mean so much to me. I mean, kudos to Keith, man. He is not afraid of of cutting real songs that say real things. Is that Nicole singing on that song? It is, yeah. <laughs> I think it's Nicole Kidman, that. his wife, and then right. also Nicole... Gallion, the one of the writers. Oh, okay. I was thinking Nicole Kidman. Man, but he, no, they're both on there. He adores his wife, huh? It is. It is a beautiful thing. I hope one day, Jim, that I can find somebody the way that Keith loves Nicole. Because <laughs> they're beautiful. Their their love is so beautiful. It's amazing. Even being around the two of them and watching them interact, it's just it's it's perfect. I just want to wish you well as we go out today and um, the best of luck to you. I really appreciate you doing uh, the podcast with us Thank today. You. Good luck to you, Lindsay. Thank and you so much. See you down the road.
right, as we approach the peak of holiday season, uh, of course, we gave Mariah Carey her well-deserved shout-out. Let's take a look at another song that is a perennial holiday favorite, uh, particularly if you grew up in an African-American household. This Christmas by Donny Hathaway. Uh, one of the, one of the, yeah, right, one of the most sort of, Grooving holiday songs out there. Uh, the song, you know, Donny Hathaway, huge star, R&B star in the 70s. Uh, kind of an interesting history with this song because it was originally recorded in 1970, put out as a single. Um, didn't get a whole lot of traction. Uh, at the time, Billboard had a little little, little holiday single spotlight, um, and it actually made it onto that chart, number 11 back in 1972, but didn't make it onto the Hot 100. So kind of forgotten about until the early 90s. And what happened in 1991 is the song was included and re-released on uh, on a compilation, a Christmas compilation. And for whatever reason, the song, you know, that was the spark that gave it new life. And since then, it's become a very, very popular song to record. Kind of one of the f- things that I find most interesting about it is every year there's somebody, you know, putting out their new, their new version, new twist, new taste on it. And in 2016... Uh, the song actually was number one on the adult contemporary chart, which is one of Gary's favorite charts here at Billboard, uh, twice in the same year by two completely different artists. Right. So at the, at the top of the year, uh, at the end of the 2015, 16 holiday season, Seal had put out a version, and that went to number one on adult contemporary. Flash forward to the end of the year, and Train, like Hey Soul Sister, Drops of Jupiter, Train had recorded the song, also made it number one on adult contemporary. So I think that goes to show that you know, at its core, that has to be a good song. If two acts like Seal and Train can both can both do it and turn it into a, a solid adult contemporary hit. grew up in a Jewish household, you still knew the song as well. I, I knew Gloria Stefan's version. Hers came out uh, in the early 90s as well. Is that... Is, wait, Gloria... Is that, no, she's not... Is, she's not, is that, that's no, the, what's just, the Jewish connection? I'm just You said at the beginning, if you grew up in an African-American household, you knew the song. So I'm just, I'm oh. just saying, I still knew the song. I know I'm a different just, version. I, right? I mean, I get it. And those people who've recorded this song, you know, is, is a great who's who, you know, really of a lot of huge artists. Um, so after the song was out in 1970, but before it got really popular in the early 90s, there were already renditions by The Temptations, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Patti LaBelle had taken a stab at it, Diana Ross had recorded one that was that was um, few people would know about. And then, of course, after it became popular, some more contemporary acts took a stab at it. Gloria Stefan, like you said, Usher has, has, has a rendition, Christina Aguilera, Destiny's Child, Aretha Franklin did one in, in the late 2000s. Uh, pentatonics have, you know who have sort of in the mariah vein taken christmas and made it an annual huge uh traffic driver for their sales and their right. streams have a rendition mary J, and probably one of the best known renditions at least for the millennial kids um if you don't know the original you probably have heard the chris brown version from the film this christmas uh, in the late 2000s was a hot 100 hit got to number 62 in the 0708 holiday season so, like I said, I mean, kind of how we've seen so many acts take on a Mariah song as well. There are some of those other contemporary holiday favorites that a lot of acts find themselves going to. And 
ultimately at its core if, if so many artists can take this song want to record this song you know put it out there put their own spin on it you know it's got to be a good 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 song yeah i think that's kind of the fun of, of holiday music all around that there's so many different versions of the same song and kind of keeps them all fresh too you can hear one version and a different version that uh, bruce springsteen doing santa claus is coming to town and uh sounds pretty different from uh, say the jackson five version yeah and especially if you're one of the fans who you know sort of likes to fan army your person i mean that's a whole other dimension is you know who who can sing this particular song better who's got the more interesting arrangement who's got the better vocal on it so it just kind of adds adds to that fun and you're right i mean it's so it's so crazy how these songs that some of them have been around for, you know, cent- I mean, centuries, at least decades. And every year, you know, somebody new picks it up and, and makes something new out of it. And uh, well, works out well. I mentioned the Jackson 5. Uh, that's going to be our second podcast this week. So that's also coming up. We're going to speak to uh, Jackie Jackson of the Jackson 5, along with Fred Bronson, uh, who uh, wrote the Charpy column for many years here on Billboard. Uh, new book, Legacy, the Jacksons. Uh, it's an entire uh, history of uh, 50 years plus of the Jackson, uh, the Jacksons, the Jackson 5. So really excited to run that uh, this week as well. So a little, little plug for, for our next podcast. And uh, I guess on that note, we should warm the audience up a little bit with maybe a taste of that that Jackson 5 sound ahead of next week's interview with Jackie. Uh, what? Oh, no. Are we doing the lamb thing first? Yeah, well, this lamb has been uh, patiently sitting here in the studio oh. calmly the whole time. It's purring now, all happily. The lambs purr. I know cats purr. We, we said we're going to mention why why Mariah Carey fans are called lambs. I, because you know they'll 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 come after me if I'm wrong. So I'm gonna say the Mariah Carey wiki wiki site that's dedicated to Mariah has this sort of a background description on on the lambs and the lamely. So it says here that the initial fan base name was supposed to be called the Butterflies. We know the album Butterfly, you know, very important to Mariah and her personal evolution and in her music career, and obviously has been sort of a, a stock symbol uh, since 1997 for her. It didn't work out, though, because Mariah, just as a person, seems to call people who she is close to lambs, family members, um, friends, and, of course, that extended on to her fans. And so um, it's a, you know obviously a term of endearment that Mariah just, just sort of, I guess, crafted herself, and lambs refer to the, per- to the lambs who are following their leader. Um, and so, you know, that's just been... Seems to be where, where the nickname originated from and obviously has stuck around for a couple of decades now. So uh, one thing I found that was kind of funny, it also notes that uh, haters or fake lambs, they call them goats. Yeah. So if you, you know, if you try to infiltrate the lamely and you're not real, you're a goat and they'll find you out. Uh, apparently that's where it seems to be. Mariah's personal taste has led to this massive lamely she has. Jackson 5 taking us out, Trevor? Uh, yes. So ahead of our interview with Jackie... We'll play us out with a little taste of a 1970s classic, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Mom. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.